papermen meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers, plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-a-ling-ling, city desk, pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it, it's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. And the Media Project is underway for another week. Welcome. My name is Ira Fussfeld. I'm the retired publisher of the Daily Freeman of Kingston, New York, sitting in this week for Rex Smith, who gets more time off than ever. I don't quite understand that, but <laughs> we'll give him that. Um, you give him that. I'm not giving him that. Well, that's Alan Shartok, CEO of Northeast Public Radio, professor emeritus at the State University of New York, publisher of the Legislative Gazette, and former publisher of the Fire Island Times. Sun. Sun, okay. Many, many years ago. Yes. Rosemary Romeo is here. When She's I was 23, <laughs> I got married to a widow who was pretty as can be. This widow had a grown-up daughter with her hair so red, my father fell in love with her, and soon this pair was wed. This made my dad my son-in-law. It changed my married life. My daughter was my mother because she was my father's wife. To complicate the matter, even though it brought me joy, I soon became the father of a bouncing baby boy. If I asked you what you had for breakfast this morning, you wouldn't be able to remember that. How do you remember that? Well, I, this is already off the rails. I'll I only let... know limericks that my father taught me that I can't repeat. Rosemary Armeo is here. She's an investigative journalist and a professor at RPI. And Barbara Lombardo is with us, former editor of the Saratogian and the Troy Record. And she is a professor at the University of Albany. And despite what you may have heard already, we're going to try to analyze, assess, and argue about the media issues of the week. And let's start with this one. You know, we've talked a lot on this program over the years about problems that are endemic to journalism that theoretically journalists can fix, whether it's bias or just plain inaccuracy. But the kinds of things that hurt the trust in media and have made media at risk for even surviving. Well, here's one that I don't know that we're going to agree media can do anything about. And that is the number of lawsuits that are described by the Columbia Journalism Review as crippling and frivolous that are being assessed against media organizations. And the acronym is SLAPS, Strategic Lawsuits Against Public Participation. And the CJR says that they have become the leading threat to journalists and press freedom, mean worldwide rather, and have stifled critical reporting on organized crime and political corruption. What can we do about it? Do we just let them, no pun intended, slap us down? It is a growing problem, but it has been a problem for a while. John Oliver famously fought against a slap suit several years ago when he reported, and I know it's a comedy show, but he does great investigative reporting, actually, and he reported on a coal baron who was making, you know, billions while his workers were in terribly unsafe conditions, and the guy came after him with a ridiculous lawsuit. And he publicized it, he made fun of it, and he won the suit. So that's one thing you can do is you have to not back down. Hard to do, though, when these suits require the 
expenditure of huge amounts of money to fight them in court, even though you're going to win. They eventually do get thrown sure, out. Sure, but so you they, still have to come up with thousands of dollars to hire your own lawyer. Exactly. So the, the things that can be done are you publicize every one, you call them out for what they are, and you lobby like hell to get the laws changed, which have happened. Um, several states have changed laws, and internationally, it's harder to bring these kinds of suits in, say, uh, England than it was a few years ago. So we're not completely helpless. Well, and yet, we have a Supreme Court, which is, to put it mildly, reactionary, <laughs> and is not going to be a terribly favorable place. They no. won't do anything to help the press, but slap suits don't apply only to the media. They're being used now. They're actually used mostly against activists who are trying to fight mm -hmm. evil sure. corporations. Environmentalists. Environmentalists, exactly. So this is a case that if it did go to the Supreme Court, we might get a ruling that would be favorable. They're, they're mm. just completely unfair. But as you point out, it's expensive even if you're in the right to defend yourself. Correct. Barbara, I'm sure you uh, remember our time working for the same company, and it was not easy to go into a budget meeting and say, well, it cost us thousands of dollars in deductible, even though you're insured against libel. The big boys who spend the money don't want to spend it on that. Right, and I remember having even a reporter who was sued for something that they wrote, and it was an egregious error in the paper, but it was unintentional, and we corrected it as best that we could, and the lawsuit was eventually dismissed, but the amount of money that we spent on that was mm -hmm, basically exactly. a reporter's annual salary. Yeah, I seem to remember at my place we had a $50,000 deductible. Now, we, we never lost a libel suit. I believe we settled a real small one once for 5000 just to make it go away. But how many of those $50,000 deductibles are you willing to spend before the newspaper ownership says, don't do that kind of story anymore? Yeah, you can't fight slap lawsuits by fighting the lawsuit itself because you'll just run out of money. It's reporting like the article that we're all looking at as we talk yeah. about this. Uh, by Joel Simon, he used to be at the Committee to Protect Journalists. It has to be a united, co coordinated effort by journalists to bring to light what's happening. It's an attempt to shut down critical voices, and that's what it has to be portrayed as. There's nothing fair about these lawsuits. Yeah, and it's Mary, critical. Have you ever been sued? Yes. What did it feel like? Did you feel like you were vulnerable or that you were being... Yeah, you don't want to go to court ever. You don't want to be the focus of a story. You want to write about a story, not about yourself covering the story. But it also was quite a kick because they said something that was completely and easily refuted. And so, you know. Yeah, I think you're spot on, Rosemary. And the other thing to keep telling the public is that it isn't, as you mentioned, that it isn't just against journalists. Also, Ira, that these are suits that can be against environmentalists or anybody else who is anybody who takes the a truth. stand against a big rich organization that can fight the truth about it i find a lawsuit though a little easier to take than what we're seeing in las vegas right now where an I official didn't like a right. we we're going to bring that up didn't like an article so he killed the reporter you can't really say fix again? that say again how that well, this Iroh is, a, this is a, a suspect this is as of this morning as we record this a suspect has been arrested in the fatal stabbing of Las Vegas Review Journal investigative reporter Jeff German. The police declined to give further information as we speak, but this announcement of the arrest came after the newspaper and other news outlets reported that the home of Clark County Public Administrator Robert Tellis, who had been the subject of recent stories by German, was searched by authorities. 
So we don't know, again, as we sit here, whether it, in fact, was this TELUS who was arrested, but all signs point to that. And this is unusual. And on the one hand, you very rarely do you have reporters targeted. On the other hand, it's a dangerous profession. There have been 293 journalists are in jail around the world, and dozens more have been killed in this past year. It's only rare in the United States that journalists are rarely targeted. And that is because elsewhere in the world, it's really easy to target them, and you're likely not to be pursued, much less arrested and definitely not convicted in a court. In Russia, for example, journalists are routinely beaten up or shot to death. Mm -hmm. Anna Poyaskaya, several years ago, um, was shot coming out of the elevator of her house point blank in the face. It was on Vladimir Putin's birthday, but I'm sure that was just a coincidence. What was the most famous case, I believe the most famous in the recent decades, Don Bowles? Don Bowles was in, yeah, that was the start of investigative reporters came about, but that he was in Arizona and he had been a reporter covering mafia and organized crime. Mm-hmm. And he went to meet a supposed source who had set up a meeting in broad daylight downtown in a public place. And nobody was there when he got into his car, it blew up. And he died 11 days later, suffering horribly. And what happened then was extraordinary. 46 journalists from around the country went out to Arizona and took all his notes and finished his reporting. And that was the start of this coordinated attempt by journalists to respond to threats and intimidation and worse of reporters. So what's behind all of this? The fact of the matter is that all of us sitting in this room know how passionate anybody who gets their name in the paper, right or wrong, can be and what their reaction can be. They get very angry. They can blow up. Their relatives get angry. So how do you avoid that? Well, I dare say each of the four of us at one time or another received what would be construed to be a particularly threatening letter or or phone call. You bet. So the answer to your question is it all depends on what you got inside you. Most of us are going to just try to plunge forward and seek police protection if necessary. Fortunately, never came to that with me. I don't know about you guys. Well, I worked for a long time, you know, in Eastern Europe for an organization covering organized crime. So we got more than our share of threats and actual attacks and our view was that yes there is a risk so you don't act blithely against it you could be fired in this organization if you did not report to your boss any kind of threat or a phone call or anything no matter you couldn't be macho at all even though these reporters really were they did put their lives on the line but you had to report it and then you took steps like you would shake up your routine never walk the same way home every day you would go with another person you would set up appointments with people who are kind of shady in public places There's a whole series of things that you can do to reduce the danger. And our policy was as soon as you got information verified, you published it because that's what they're trying to do when they threaten or kill you is to stop the information. So you get it out just as soon as you can. Have you ever been threatened, Barbara? Yes, I have. And so have at least one person who was on my staff at a time. And we both had to have police intervene. Mm -hmm. And for her, the police went to this person and and actually had to go to court for them. And those people were ordered not to come to the Saratogian. And one person who had since moved out of state who had threatened me in city court if he came into town they could arrest arrest him him. 
And so, yeah, it was scary. And you kept doing your job, but you tried to make sure you were going out when it was light out or if it was dark, you know, right. park your car where you could right. get to it quickly and easily. And so lock it. Was, it. And lock yeah. your car. And, it was, and in the newsroom, there was absolutely no security. Well, I was just going to say, most places, I, I've not surveyed everyone in the country, broadcast and print, but certainly in my place, it was pretty much wide open. When we opened for business at 8 o'clock in the morning so people could walk in and buy their classified ads or whatever, all you had to do was open the door I, and And I in. miss those days, too. And well, people could great. just come in off the street, but I remember one place I worked in, there was a threat, and so my colleagues hung a sign over the desk that said, she's the one that wrote it with an arrow <laughs> pointing down. <laughs> Like and of like course, that. it's funny. It was funny no. then. It is not funny now, and those days are long. It is not funny. Yeah. And you know, I give a nod to the people at the Annapolis newsroom back in 2018, and that was yes. a sister Gannett paper for a long time, where the Capital Gazette, where you know somebody came in and shot up and killed staff members. Oh. And I think there probably was a spurt of attempts to you know lock up newsrooms after that, perhaps. But yeah. it's impossible to keep that safe. Yeah, man. And Rosemary points out the the fact that the building and the newsroom in particular were wide open was good for you as a reporter and sure. an editor because people could walk in and provide information to you right. or, or just sit around and talk. They felt part of the. The, and vice that versa. Lack of engagement and trust. We didn't have it so much back then. Right. Well, you, you're a very tough person, uh, Rosemary. If you saw somebody coming at you after you wrote something, do you have any sense of what you might do? I'd like to think that I'd be really brave and yell something snarky at him, but I probably would freeze and be unable to move. I mean, I you can talk big, but yeah, knowing I you, I I suspect I go down well, fighting. Yeah, well, Thank not you. go down, but you would. <laughs> You you would uh, hold your own. Mostly the people who do threats against reporters, if they give you a threat, it's because they want you to back off. If they can really do something about you, they don't threaten you. They just freaking do it. That's what we found. We did a story about food safety in Bosnia, and we wrote stories about the freshness of food at various outlets, including ice cream places. And we had a real lab test, and then we ran a list of the places that weren't up to par. There was, like, bacteria and stuff. And an ice cream owner told my reporter, an ice cream store owner. I mean, he made ice cream cones. That was his job. And he goes, I know where you work. I know where your editor is. I know the door she comes out, and I have a brick. So I went out a different door for a while. <laughs> but, we, yeah, we, we it's just kind of silly stuff. We had an older man who used to come to the my market, Ulster County, in the city of Kingston mm -hmm. every year during the summer. And he wore a big red multicolored calfcan. And he would protest around town. He'd have signs, et cetera. And he, there was something in the newspaper he didn't like. He walked into the building one day and just planted himself in front of my desk. I was still in oh, sports wow. then. We don't know whether he was dangerous or not, but I'll make a very long story short by saying we finally called the cops that literally as they dragged him out of the building, you could see his skid marks on the rug. Now flash forward. The Berlin Wall is coming down, and I'm watching, and I'm looking closely, and there he is on the top of the Berlin Wall, and the last time we saw him, he had fallen over to the eastern side, so oh we don't know whatever God. happened to that guy, but we almost felt a sense of pride that he, <laughs> he was our local protester. <laughs> Course, the, okay, that war story wins. That, and, and, of course, the, the final piece to the puzzle about concerns 
is now with the proliferation of guns, you know, again, in the old days, Mm. people might come in and yell and scream and they get dragged out. Now we all hide under our desks. And of course, there's always the question of what a newsroom owes its employees in terms of their safety. Do you spend millions of dollars, what could be millions of dollars, reinforcing all the glass? We're talking about news organizations. They're selling their old buildings. They're getting rid of reporters. They're hiring freelancers who go into dangerous situations, especially overseas assignment, with no protection whatsoever. So it's taking advantage of journalists' sense of courage and responsibility to want to cover these stories in the same way they took advantage of your work ethic. If you were on a big story, you didn't go home when your 40 hours in a week were done. You worked on and on. You didn't get paid for it, and they knew that. So, yeah, companies, news companies have never been great about protecting well, but, or helping But to the staff. point, and uh, Alan raised it, is mm-hmm. that there is a certain obligation on the part of ownership, whether it's radio, TV, or newspapers, to protect their employees and themselves. So you're suggesting it's very expensive, and I don't have any doubt that it is. But what would happen if, God forbid, somebody was killed in the building that was not well protected and the lawsuits would And as the CEO of the organization that I had, I can tell you that that question does float around my mind from time to time. We saw it with COVID, too, protecting employees about against and from COVID while also requiring them to report. Mm-hmm. That was difficult and another kind of danger. Yeah. And there are certainly reporters who, in their blood, are willing to run into the face of danger to provide the truth and to go after stories, whether it's in another country or in our country, and, and take those chances. Thank mm-hmm. goodness for them. Right. This is The Media Project. Ira Fussfeld, Alan Shartok, Barbara Lombardo, and Rosemary Armeo here with you. Well, last week, Judy Patrick made mention of the fact that it wouldn't be a media project if we didn't talk about Fox News, and I I suspect (laughs) that we'll get there. But speaking of getting there, we've also been talking a bit about CNN and what's going on there and and the purported move from what they would say is the center, what others think is the left, but in any case, moving closer to the right. I want to talk about that, but first, just as an indication of what's going on, the new CEO there by the name of Chris Licht, who's well-known in TV and broadcast circles, announced this week the hiring of two people to his staff. One was Dr. Tara Natula, who is going to be the medical correspondent and apparently used to be at CBS. And the other, interesting to me anyway, is John Miller, who was going to be the chief law enforcement and intelligent analyst. I don't know if you guys know Miller and know his work, but he's been around forever. He was he started a local television in New York. He was the guy who you would sit at you'd have readers and listeners who sit at home listening to the police scanner, hear something went down, and he would immediately run out and be on the crime scene. So he became affiliated with the cops, almost a second cop. He became very well known as the person who covered John Gotti the most. Later, he he actually had an interview before 9-11 with bin Laden and then spent most of the last couple of decades in the New York and Los Angeles police departments as a spokesman and as a counterterrorism expert. So he's been hired by CNN, and on on the face of it, based on that resume I just suggested, he could be a good hire, not left, not right, but a good hire. And then reports came out that when he was working for the NYPD, He testified falsely, and he knew it was false, that the NYPD was surveying and targeting Muslims and Muslim mosques, and he denied that the NYPD was doing that. It's well documented since that it has, 
Does that put this hiring, based on what what little information I just gave you, does that mean CNN should say, sorry, we made a mistake, no John Miller for us? Well, of course, just... they should, whether they will or not, doubtful. Well, those two hires come in the wake of uh, Brian Stelter being let go, the media expert, Jeffrey Tubin being let go, the legal analyst, and John Harwood, the most recent a political correspondent who's worked for a couple of networks, also let go. Well, what did uh, Tubin do that was so bad? Well, Tubin, I don't know whether he was let go for this because he would have been let go a long time ago, but do you, re- I, you know the answer to this question and you want I, me to explain I, it? I, yeah, yes. <laughs> he masturbated in the middle of yeah. a Zoom meeting with colleagues. Right. And so it was he, very foolish. He was suspended. And Why did he do that? Exhibitionist, you know, lazy, didn't think, you know, anybody could see what he was doing. It was just dumb. And we know he did it. In other words, no, no oh, yeah. yeah. Speaking of lawsuits, we're not going to get sued for saying no. he did it when he didn't <laughs> no. do it. No, just no. trying to find the right way to say it on the air. Yeah. Outright. So anyway, all of this is going on at CNN. And as we described a couple of weeks ago, CNN is now owned by uh, a conglomerate of Time Warner and the Discovery Channel. And the man who leads that organization, his name is John Malone, who is a avowed, I don't know if he's a member of the Federalist Society, but he leans right politically Although he denies it, it's thought that he was the one who got Stelter fired because they believe Stelter was too critical of his media as well as other media on the right. I I think it's a troubling trend that we're seeing at CNN and elsewhere. Politico just got taken over by a guy who loves Trump, too. And um, so what's the trend? The trend is that that the the media is becoming more and more right-leaning. And under the guise of, oh, no, 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 we're just trying to balance things. You don't see Fox News hiring liberals to try to become more balanced. Well, they do, but they don't hire real liberals. Yeah, they, they hire voice pieces, Juan Williams. But what's happening here is troubling. He is hiring people who have, as you you noted some real qualifications so you can't on the face of it say oh my god this is a tragedy and a, an outrage but the trend is bad i'm looking at acosta if jim acosta gets fired right. then we're going to know for sure but the trend that you're describing at cnn they will say it's they want to be more down the middle right the the evidence so far is they're trying to compete against fox and the Correct. further evidence statistics are showing that CNN's ratings have gone down since all of this has been Yeah, begun. would that work? Would it work? Fox is a juggernaut. Yeah, no, and, I get and, it. And not only that, people who do not like CNN, it's going to take an awful lot of convincing to make them think that they will like CNN I agree. under I th- new guise. I think CNN was a more straight, straight news arrow. organization before the Trump administration. And I don't want to say that he started it, but he called CNN as well as the whole media the enemy of the people. He targeted CNN and I don't blame them for punching back over those years. Well, and, you know, it used to be MSNBC if you wanted to have the left, and Fox if you wanted to hear the right, and CNN if you wanted to hear more objectively down the middle. So if they're able to go that route, I think it's good to have a news organization that can provide that. Maybe NPR already provides that in the news. Um, I'm skeptical well, about what's let, really going to happen just, here. Let's presume for the sake of argument that CNN wanted to become, just as you describe it, the middle of the rotor the place that you go for accurate news. In this world of partisan politics Mm. and silos, would that even work? No. 
and who's going to list? You know, it's, yeah, it's not a good business. People decision. want to watch MSNBC if they believe what they're saying, and yeah. Fox and, or the other right-wing channels if they want to hear that information. And that actually is what got CNN in trouble in the, in the beginning. When they were more in the middle, they were losing people, which is why they started to become a more opinionated channel than mm-hmm. they had been. Some of the things that the new owners have done, I applaud getting rid of the breaking news on Absolutely. every little piece oh, yeah. of information they put out, getting rid of those horrible panels where everybody is completely divided and they just yell at each other and nothing is resolved. If they never, if they get rid of people like Brian Seltzer, who I have a big respect for, but also get rid of the Corn Lewandowskis and the Kaylee McEnany's that they hired ridiculously. Please hire journalists, not partisans, if you want to be a real journalism outlet. That would be great if they went back to reporting news that has two sides or more sides and you present all of it. That would be great. But so far, all we're seeing is that they're getting rid of people who are willing to take on Trump in his own terms. Right, that's and that's dangerous. Is one of those exactly. People. And who's left? You've got Fox News with Howie Kurtz, who oddly enough, started reliable sources on CNN, but it's gone to the dark side. And, you know, as as other print commentators on the media have said, you hear us quoting Brian Seltzer, not so much Howie Kurtz, and there's a reason for that. And, you know, I don't know if I mentioned this off air or on air, but we were talking about Howie Kurtz. He was a very well-respected media reporter for the Washington Post, went to CNN and brought his expertise and his neutrality there. And then left and went to Fox, and all of a sudden I find myself saying, whatever happened to Howie Kurtz? Because this is not the same guy. Exactly. You mentioned Politico. The new owner of Politico at one time invited executives to pray for Donald Trump to be elected, and now he's in charge of running a fairly influential, at least in the Beltway organization. Yeah, that scares me because Politico has had a well-earned reputation Mm -hmm. for being a hard-hitting, objective, tackling issues, and this scares me. Rightly so. That should be grounds for not having the job he has. You know, the other part of our discussion that always interests me is whether or not people or organizations can lobby the press. In other words, can people who have a bone to pick change the way the press reports things just by continually suggesting that they are anything but honest? Sure. If you go through the, well, use the word channels, and it sounds too formal, but relative to what we were talking about before, if the door of the newspaper or the radio station is open for visitors and the visitors come in or they call and make an appointment and they state their case, it's not difficult to presume that you could be convinced that, well, gee, we haven't really done it the right way. I, Again, I'll use a personal example that's a little bit different. We at the Daily Freeman wanted to start a Spanish-language newspaper because we saw the growth of the Spanish community in, our, in Ulster County, and we thought this would be a way to attract a whole new audience. In the lead-up to it, we invited key people in this in the Hispanic community a to inform them but also to ask their opinion about what people who speak Spanish would want to read and hear and and in many cases it was different from what we had set out to do but if you listen to the public you're not kowtowing you're being smart well I think the voting machine companies are showing how you get the attention of media you have to have money and you have to have a threat and you have to say show us the proof you say we're corrupt and well you also have to have a good case I mean they yeah they have a kind of a extremely great case. Which brings us to the one Fox reference, or the one specific to Fox. This was uh, reported by NPR's David Falkenflick. Fox was urged by a producer at Fox to not let Janine Pirro back on the air. 
He said she is pulling conspiracy theories from dark corners of the web to justify then-President Trump's lies that the election had been stolen from him. This is an email that people at Fox saw. Fox is, Fox is not commenting. But she wouldn't be alone if we said somebody who was going way over the bounds of journalism to favor President Trump at there, Fox. There, there's, it's really interesting. Trump pardoned her ex-husband on his last days in office. I mean, there's a real personal connection. She has gone to the White House. She's personal friends with him and is spouting these things. I think that the discovery of that email must have brought tears of joy to the faces of Dominion and Smartmatic. Although she's more visible than she used to be because she's now a regular on that 5 o'clock show. Right. The, I don't remember what it's called. Right. She was rewarded. She was rewarded. Back. Yeah, she's Well, let's more, remember yeah. that 40% of the American people are with her and them, the right-wing Trumpers. That's a lot of people. My fingers are crossed that when you know, the lawsuits are done, that there's actually some penalties that are going to hurt. Really? Well, I know I'm so naive. You're so and naive. Oh my. Yeah, God. I think we so. We don't hurt companies in this country. I mean, the, look the, at Jewel. I mean, they were marketing directly to Kids. teens about vaping products, and they were—they didn't admit it. They didn't admit anything, but they signed a settlement, and they're going to pay one quarter of one year's income, please. Well, we're just about out of time. Thank you for joining us. I'm Ira Fussfeld with Alan Shartok, Rosemary Armeo, Barbara Lombarda, our producer, David Gustina. Join us again next week for The Media Project. Prostitution, I don't know. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, circulation, ting-a-ling-a-ling, advertising, get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give free cheers for freedom of the press.